Hello, I'm Eric Holderman, and this is Disaster Zone, a podcast about emergencies and disasters. Disaster Zone will bring you interviews and commentaries about all aspects of disasters, from what causes them to how people and organizations are dealing with their impact. Today's podcast is being sponsored by The Blue Cell. As the nation's most active in-person and virtual incident command system and consequence management training company, stop by our website today to address your personal and agency training needs. Go to www.thebluecell.com. Welcome to the Disaster Zone podcast. With me today is Tim Bayer, and I'll be sharing more on his background as we get into our discussion. The focus of this podcast will be on the social impacts of the pandemic disaster that we are still currently experiencing. And welcome to the show, Tim. Hey, thanks, Eric. Great to be here. And my goodness, uh, thanks for your friendship and getting to know you here over the last 18 months. It's, it's been a pleasure. All right. Well, why don't we jump right into this? And, you know, we've had all the medical issues when you think about it. Uh, job-related, family, school, all this. So, you know, these have been challenging times with a lot of impact uh, to people, businesses, institutions. And no one's been spared. Everyone has had some impact from the pandemic. So, uh, Tim, how do you see the pandemic's impacts to everyone socially and relationally? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. It's a question I think I... I reflect on almost every day, multiple times a day even, uh, because they are challenging times. And, and when we talk about individuals uh, have being, having been impacted, you know, I think it's, it's as diverse and unique as there are the number of people. Um, and so on one hand, I think every person's uh, experience, their, their personal impact is unique to themselves because uh, whether it be job related or, or their health concerns or the family or the spheres of influence that they're around socially and relationally, uh, that's going to shape and form how they, how they live, how they navigate through all of this. But I think in, in general terms, if, if we think in wide sweeping uh, generalizations, I think socially um, we, we've really been affected by this sense of physical isolation. And, and while, while it began with quarantine and as we moved out of quarantine to a little bit of limited interaction, by and large, compared to where we were, you know, even a year ago, 18 months ago, um, life is just very different when it comes to socialization. I look at my own kids and, you know, they long to be together but even when they're together, it's totally different. Um, and so I think we're all learning this new normal um, and adapting uh, the best we can with what we got. But physically, it's this isolation. But, but yet there's this emotional loneliness that, that's added with, with all of that. And so not only do we have a physical disruption in community um, where we can't actually physically be with the people we want to be with, or, or at least be in proximity to where we want to be. Um, there's this emotional disruption of loneliness. Like we just feel lonely. Um, and, and yeah, those things are, are two very different ideas. You can be physically close and still emotionally lonely. And I know that was a very real experience for, for many people, even before the pandemic. But I think that's amplified 
uh, really for everyone on some level because of the quarantine, because we're learning to adapt to uh, an emotional distance with each other. And I think that that really compounds with, with the relational impact too, with the stress and the anxiety and the tension. It's this overall breakdown in, in physical community, but then emotional connection. Uh, that's all wrapped up into the physical presence. And, and again, you know, for those who, who are choosing to figure it out digitally, uh, I think we're doing the best we can with what we got. Uh, it is by, new. And, and you're new, thinking so. social media wise, or uh, we're yeah. recording this on Zoom so we can see one another. At the, at yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we can have a interaction face to face digitally with this, but like, I can't pat you on the shoulder doing this. Uh, the best I can do is give you a thumbs up and say, hey, Eric, you're doing great. You know, keep it up or wow, that, that's really hard. And I'm really sorry to hear that. But I can't give you a hug. I can't pass a tissue next to you. Um, while I can see you through a screen, I really can't see, in a sense, uh, a spiritual dimension, and that's the world I'm in as a pastor, the spiritual dimension of a soul uh, who might be grieving, uh, who might be, be joyful over the fact that their kid can go to the park, you know, or the fact that, you know, a vaccination has come out or the option for vaccination has been made available. Um, we, can, we can share those experiences, but in a limited sort of form. Um, and I think good or bad, it's different. And so the more into digital relationships and interaction community we can, we can dance, um, I, I think the more normalized that becomes. I still think we're in the very early stages of normalizing digital community, though. So it, it does feel a little awkward and off. And I think that impact brings a grieving of longing of what was without really knowing where this is all going. Okay. Well, I, you know, one of the other aspects of uh, the year 2020, and we're in 2021 now, but mm -hmm. uh, is we seem to be at crossroads on so many other different aspects of our culture. There were the, mm -hmm. and still are the medical issues of the pandemic, the isolation you've been talking about here just now in our uh, first start of this. And then concurrently, we've had the economic side of things. We had, uh, uh, very contentious political election season. Mm. We had racial upheavals in our society. What's your take on these events combined with the yeah. fact we're doing all those things either uh, as a cause of the pandemic or concurrent with the pandemic? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's kind of like uh, you're, shoveling, you're shoveling dirt and you just keep on shoveling more dirt on top of it, right? Um, I, you know, I, I was thinking about this, uh, preparing for our conversation, and I, I think, I think I, I'm at a point where I can safely say with a degree of confidence that a lot of the social tensions and upheavals might be the fruit or sort of the natural outcome of the social relational strain. Um, not that it didn't exist before, and I, I really do think like the racial tensions, uh, I believe that they, they've been here before. Uh, it's kind of like the rug that you sweep the dirt under, uh, what do you have? You just have a lumpy rug. And so eventually you're gonna have to pull the rug up and, and deal with it. And uh, whether it just be a coincidental, uh, coincidental timing or um, a, a providential timing, however you wanna kind of take that perspective, I think the way it played out and the way uh, people interacted with each other uh, was really sort of the natural expected outcome, maybe even a normal outcome of 
of social and relational strain as a result of the pandemic, where the best we could do to communicate with each other was through social media at times. Well, that's probably not the best place to do it, but it might've been, been the only place we felt like we could do it. Um, you know, I think of it as a pressure cooker, right? Um, when you put vegetables into a pressure cooker, um, the air pressure uh, contracts on it and then, and then uh, things expand and, and there's this sort of chemi chemistry that goes on. Um, it, it's kind of like that, you know, I think we, we were in this pressure cooker with the pandemic and all of the issues kind of had this pressure and, and eventually when the pressure gets too much, we all know what happens. Um, it all kind of explodes and all the individual vegetables come out kind of one by one, maybe at the same time. Um, they rarely come out as a bunch together. And um, I think that's what we experienced um, here over the summer with the economic and political and racial tensions and upheavals. Um, and so on one hand, I think and really do believe they all existed before the pandemic. The pandemic just was kind of that perfect storm and we kind of reaped the fruit of having to deal with it all at the same time. Yeah, and the fruit didn't all taste good, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe it, it, was still, it was still in development and it wasn't quite ripe yet. Or, or, or overdeveloped and it was right. Overdeveloped, ripe. yeah, yeah. Yeah, long time coming. So it, it does seem contradictory that we have social isolation and also social upheaval. Yeah. Um, some things you mentioned. So what about the organizational outputs from these occurring simultaneously? Will there be winners and losers, you know, um, who will thrive in this environment wow. that we're in? Yeah, you know, in general terms, I, I believe that everybody loses in situations like this. Like there are no winners. Um, and when you think about winning is, is on one hand about power and on the other hand about exerting that power over another, another group. Um, and so in a sense, everybody loses and nobody wins. Um, I do think that, that on the other side, and as, as we, uh, as a community, um, in my sphere of influence, uh, we begin, uh, continue to shift and adapt, um, not begin, but continue to. I, I, I'm beginning to see that create the space for emotional and relational um, things to happen for people to come together, whether it be in a physical space or, or even creating a digital space for people to be authentic and real and to actually talk about the real things that are going on and, and not just saying I'm fine and moving, moving through it. You know, you can call it emotional health or strong support systems, but, but really it is about creating new spaces for life to happen in. Um, and I think that's really the core outcome. I, I think that's one of the things that, that this pandemic has, has led us as a social organization to really grapple with is when our fiscal spaces cannot be utilized, be it because of guidelines or be it because people have chosen to not engage in those spaces for a variety of reasons, then how do you get to that same outcome of wholeness and restoration and reconciliation and and exhibiting love to, to our community in a, in a different way. Um, and so creating that space, and, and if it is about relationships, if it is about community, then, then how do you gather? How do you create community in those spaces? And I think the folks who really wrestle with that will continue to thrive in their experimentation and 
and trying new things because, you know, just like you're building a, a plane, right? Um, you know, I think of the folks uh, out of Kitty Hawk back in the day. I was reading a book about how uh, the first flight happened, you know. They didn't like wake up one day and it's like, here, here's the model and I hope it works. Oh, a little bit here, a little bit here. And, and over time, it eventually began clicking. So um, I, I, think, you know, I think we're in that type of moment. Yeah, that, um, you know, what's worked in the past, when you physically can't do it, you, you know, you're tinkering with trying to see yeah. what will work, I guess, right? Yeah, 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 that's, that's well put, yeah. And, and not assuming what worked in the past would even begin to work in the future. And this doesn't mean that what you did in the past was wrong or bad. It's that, um, like a friend of mine said earlier this week, he said, Tim, um, let's be honest, 12, year, 12 months ago, people were different. The world was different. And it was like you took a time out, in a way, from what you were doing. But when you come back to the game that you're playing, everything is going to be different. Your players are different. Your, your, the setting's different. And even though you're trying to keep score in the same way, everything's different. And so yeah. stop playing checkers when you need to switch to play chess. Even though you have the same board, you're playing a different game. Yeah. And Ed, everybody talks about whatever that new normal is going to be. And, and yeah. I guess we're going to have to figure it out. Right? Yeah. And I, I think that's what the pioneers did, right? I think a Lewis and Clark, uh, there's a great book called Canoeing the Mountains by Tom Bolsinger that I read a couple years ago. And it's about how Lewis and Clark uh, thought that they would reach the ocean when they hit the Rocky Mountains with a canoe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how surprised they were when you couldn't take a canoe over the mountains. They had to figure it out. And then when they got on the other side of the mountains, they thought, man, here's the ocean. And then they hit the plateau. And then they thought, hey, here's the ocean. And then they hit the Sierra Nevadas. And, and along the way, you had to listen to the people around you. You had to, you had to uh, pivot and adapt to the situations because what was going on while you were going up the mountain is totally different when you were on top of the mountain, which is different yes. than when you're on the plateau. Yes. Well, and, and you just make me think about that. I mean, I've carried some heavy loads. And that, mm -hmm. at what point did they say, we need to put the canoe down and try something yeah. else, you know? I, because yeah. they carried it for a while. They yeah, didn't, they, did. you know, they carried they it did. for a while, for sure. You know? And, you know, can you imagine the disappointment? Like, man, we carried this all this way. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if they were disappointed or not. Like, we, we just don't know. Yes. But I think, you know, in our, in our world of, of change, I think on one hand, there's grief. And at the other, other hand, on the other hand, there's this incredible hope. Like, yes. wow, I wonder what's around the bend. Yes. I can't wait yeah. to see, yes. you know. And, yeah. I and can so. imagine the Native Americans finding a canoe in the foothills <laughs> yeah. and they think, who was, what? who was dumb enough to bring that up yeah. here? Well, yeah. white man, that's who. Well, okay, so we're, we're talking about uh, disruption. And um, when we were getting ready for this, uh, we, you brought up the subject of, oh, there's this um, great picture of showing a bridge and it no longer goes over uh, a river. The river actually moved. <laughs> you know, so mm -hmm. the bridge is a bridge to nowhere because, you know, the river moved. And as when I looked at the word disruption, they actually had a picture yeah. of that, that, you know, illust physically illustrating mm -hmm. that. So, um, so are, are we in one of those moments now where 
and, and what are the indicators that yeah. you know we've got disruption going on? We've talked yeah. about a number of them here. I don't know if you've got anything yeah, more I, to I say. Yeah, I think the that. obvious answer is yes, we're in one of those moments. Um, what are the indicators? Um, I think I think when we feel like we're always in crisis, that's an indicator on the affective level, uh, where we always feel like we're having to adapt and change day to day, even hour to hour. Um, I, I know whenever I hear about a, a governor's press conference uh, or press release come out, like my blood pressure spikes. And, and that's kind of when I know that, that we're in disruption mode still. Um, but I think when we look around just um, socially, relationally, I, I was talking to, to some really dear friends of mine uh, yesterday and, and they were just sharing, oh my goodness, we, we just feel overwhelmed, like, like the bus came and we were at the bus stop but the bus left without us and i'm running to catch the bus yeah yes um and it's all the time everywhere in every area of life and i think that's one of the indicators when we feel just so overwhelmed um that that there's disruption happening and, and disruption isn't bad you know growing things lively things are always changing but maybe not at the same pace of what we're experiencing today um, sometimes it changes fast, sometimes it changes slow. Uh, Thomas Burton, uh, he's a spiritual director type. He talks about how this, how life is kind of like a dance. And sometimes we lead, sometimes we follow, sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's slow. But whenever we learn a new dance, it's always clumsy. We always fall over each other. Um, and I think that's a great picture of, of where we're at now. Like we're learning a new dance and it's okay. Um, but what it does require for us to do is to drill down and, and really figure out what, what is it that, that binds us together? Where, what is the unity that connects us? Um, because when, when the river moves, nobody really cares about the bridge. What they care about is how do we get my family over to the other side of the river? And so the bridge becomes irrelevant in a way. Uh, the program becomes irrelevant. The how becomes irrelevant because you got to figure out how you're going to get across the river again. Um, and I think some of us, we're, we're still looking at the bridge wondering, okay, what are we going to do with the bridge? Instead of, man, we have a river to cross and the storm's coming and night's coming. Um, and so, you know, there's a sense of urgency that brings anxiety. There's a sense of wonder and trying to figure out, and, and when you don't really have the tools to do it, that, man, that, talk about anxiety. I mean, I think of, of my, my team here where I work, we were not tooled for a time like this. Right. And so we're having to, to, to dig through a toolbox that has tools that were never designed to navigate a world like we're in now. So, you know, how do we make our new tools um, that have not yet been made to do the work that has not yet been done. And on one hand, that's exciting, as I said, but I think uh, we are in one of those moments and, and we feel it because many of us, myself included, at times we just feel so overwhelmed that, you know, we question whether or not we were even, were even cut out for this. Right, right. Uh, you talk about tools. I just remember my uh, grandfather's tool chest had a monkey wrench in it. Mm -hmm. And most people wouldn't know what a monkey wrench is today, but you needed it for Model T, Model A, Ford mm -hmm. uh, type, of, type of thing. So it was a great tool for back then. Uh, mm -hmm. I've still got one in my toolbox that 
<laughs> you know, it was his or my dad's, yeah. and I've, yeah. I've used it on occasion, but it's not, it's an old tool. It's an old yeah. tool. Yeah. So I, this has been um, great, Tim. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break right now for this message, and we'll be right back. Today's podcast is being sponsored by The Blue Cell. As the nation's most active in-person and virtual incident command system and consequence management training company, stop by our website today to address your personal and agency training needs. Go to www.thebluecell.com. And we are back and we're talking to uh, Tim Bayer about the social impacts of the pandemic. And we're going to dive back into this here, Tim. And... One of the things that we've seen about how we're being isolated is that it stifles communications between people. And um, sometimes we avoid communications because we fear it will become confrontational. And, and, you know, especially on the racial aspect, the political aspect, um, especially on the policy and politics side, I know Mm -hmm. people have been very fearful even bringing that up. Uh, in many respects, they're not looking for a confrontation. They're concerned about what that may uh, lead to. So what, what's your recommendation about this confrontational <laughs> aspect of the period? Oh, this is so hard. And, you know, many of us, we're, we're not used to being on, on a losing side all the time. And, and that's what confrontation leads to is, is that you have a bunch of losers uh, trying to fight their way to win. Um, so, so I always encourage myself uh, when others ask, you know, what can I do? Uh, how can I have this type of hard conversation? Um, I always encourage being curious, taking a posture of curiosity, um, asking questions. That, that takes a lot of humility um, where, where you have to admit to yourself to begin with, well, maybe I don't own the full corner um, on this issue or I don't have the full picture, which in the world of fake news and wondering news and bias news and all the other news uh, adjectives that we use. I mean, we have to kind of come to the point where we have to admit to ourselves, okay, we don't own the corner on this. Um, I, I lived in Chicagoland for a while and you know, uh, you'd hear about drug rings and, and the way uh, drugs and gangs work in the city is, is that they own corners and, and it's kind of territory. Um, and if you stepped in the, on the wrong corner or if you were in the wrong territory, um, it wasn't good. It wouldn't end well um, because they own the corner. Um, and I think in a way we, we approach conversations about race and politics, uh, about even religion uh, in this way, right? Where somehow we own the corner on this perspective or on this policy or on this um, application of the constitution or on this social stance and the truth is well you might be owning that corner but you might not be and and truthfully if you think about it we all own all the corners as americans so so let's just kind of come to that understanding Um, but i I really resonate with what what a friend of mine bob goff said Uh, he shared this uh, in a conversation back uh, back in january and and he said um you know, we have to remember that, that we're more like base coaches in a baseball game than the umpires. Uh, and he, while he was speaking into a spiritual setting at that time, 
Um, I, I think it applies to all these, these other conversations that we have, be it political, economic, social, racial, economical, um, that, that we're encouragers, that we want to foster healthy conversation and not be umpires and say, you're out. Um, because nobody likes the umpire who makes the bad call, right? But everybody loves the base coach when they're helping everybody else score. And, and that, that was Bob's point is, how can we help everybody or the most people win as opposed to disqualifying folks based upon our own judgment calls when we don't actually have the full, the full corner or the full picture? You know, that's why they have instant review now. And as much as you know, it's affected the way the game's played and the way that, that we enjoy those sporting activities, um, you know, I, I, I think it's brought some legitimacy to, to the umpire's calls. You know, when you don't have the full picture, you can go back and look at it and say, you know, maybe I missed something. Let me go review it. Um, you know, be the base coach, not the umpire. And uh, I think that's, that's a great place to start. Okay. And, you know, as you were talking there, I was thinking about um, people are having trouble agreeing on what the facts are. You know, yeah. what's, what's true and what isn't true in this. Uh, even, and now in that environment, then we still seek absolutism. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm right and you're wrong, even when we can't agree on the basic facts. That, that's yeah. a, a tough place it to is. be in, to have a meaningful dialogue with others. So yeah. uh, earlier you talked about really listening to others. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's pretty valid there. Um, so, uh, you know, really scary aspect, what we're experiencing today is what we have known has eroded. And then you kind of brought this up earlier. There's no clarity for what will be. How should people deal with a sense of loss of the past and this worry about the future? You, you mentioned this earlier, but I mean, uh, the, uh, lack of certainty about yeah. anything. I mean, it's, everything's kind of in play. Well, you know, Financially, will there be a social security system in the future? Uh, are we making the national debt too high? Are, are we really not spending enough to get out of the pandemic? You know, we don't have a clear path forward on any number of issues. Should, should kids be back in school immediately? You know, mm -hmm. K, K through high school. Yeah, 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 all those all those thoughts, I mean, for me, they're, they're almost daily thoughts that run through my mind, and it is really scary. Um, there's not a lot of clarity. Uh, someone was sharing with me, you know, man, you know, I, I admire how, how you can say that you can kind of see what's coming, you know, maybe a year from now, you can speculate even a couple years out, but man, it's hard to see what tomorrow is going to bring, and, and I can resonate with that. Um, because it is difficult. It is difficult. I, I think, I think the first, the first part or the first step um, to really begin embracing this sense of, of muddiness or murkiness as we look to the future, and then also um, kind of sadness about the past, is is to come to grips with, with the fact that everything's relative today. That's not good. It's not bad. It just is. Um, I I was looking at a Barna research study yesterday and. And even moral relativism is, is now um, in, in terms of the majority uh, for a generation, Generation Z, 
uh, live in terms of moral relativity as opposed to moral absolutism, uh, which is the first time any generational survey has really depicted uh, that in the moral sphere. So I, I think just life and culture the way it is, is just in flux. Um, and so what that tells me is two things. One, we really need to grieve well. Um, you know, in, in some ways, the last year has been a huge grief process and we're gonna continue in this grief process. Um, because when we lose the things we love, the things we hold dear, the practices, the traditions, uh, the rhythms, uh, the sports events, the games, uh, our TV shows. I mean, how many of us get angry if, if This Is Us is canceled for another sporting event? Like, come on, <laughs> like, we, we, like the silliest things. And yet it, it tells us that, that we need to grieve well. Uh, and part of that is just admitting, yeah, things are different. Things are gonna change. Um, it's okay to be angry about it. It's okay to be sad about it. And it's also okay to say, we can't stay where we're at. Um, that there is going to be a future, but we're not sure what it is. Uh, it makes me think of 9-11. Um, I, was, I was in college at the time. And, and I remember as I was looking at my own future, I'm like, wow, what does this mean? As you see burning buildings and people running through the streets of New York and nobody really knew what was going to be next. And and then you heard, heard wow, um, from President Bush, uh, these statements about, terrorism and what does that mean and 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 all this stuff was happening and, and I was in the city of Chicago at the time I mean we were not in, in rural America and so uh, all I could think is man what does that mean for my job in the future what does that mean about the economy because I'm gonna have to somehow make a living uh, what does that mean for for the the kinds of jobs I, I, I might be looking for. Uh, what does that mean for my schooling? Am I going to be able to go back to school tomorrow or are we going to shut down again? Um, and and I, I have a lot of those similar feelings about our future today. Like it's going to be okay. And at the same time, it's okay to say, I'm not sure what that's going to be like tomorrow. But um, in the end, I know love is going to exist. I know there's still going to be people in my future and resiliency um, our ability to be resilient people is going to end up winning the day. Um, and resiliency is that combination of, of grit, but also the, the reality of living in the present, saying, yeah, this stinks. Yeah, this, this doesn't make sense. And yet the hopeful reality that we're going to get through this together. Um, and, and if you look at post 9-11, that's absolutely what, what moved communities through that horrible, horrible time. In America. Okay. Well, uh, you know, final questions. And, you know, mm -hmm. you mentioned you're, you're a Lutheran pastor. So from a mm -hmm. religious perspective, um, how are you personally dealing with the social upheaval and all we've been experiencing trying to lead a congregation? I mean, you, you are very much in the people business mm -hmm. I and mean, that's, that's, you know, you don't make yeah, widgets. That is our business. Yep. <laughs> you don't make widgets <laughs> and that, and um, you're not, I mean, you really are trying to meet people where they are. So I would think, you know, we, we talked about doing this and I think it's because of all that engagement, you've had the insights you've shared here today, but any, anything else you want before yeah, you we know, wrap up? I, I really admire the work of, of folks like Renee Brown. Um, I, I've been influenced by her over the years. And, and now, I think, who, 
Who's Renee Brown? Is she a sociologist? Yeah, Brit, yeah Brit, Renee Brown is a psychologist out at the University of Texas. And, uh, she is sort of the leading voice in the world of empathy. And empathy is, is the ability to sit with somebody in their own stuff and not give them a solution, not give an answer, not give a fix, but simply be and walk with people. Um, I think early on in ministry, I, I would have jumped to answers and solutions right away in times like this. Like, here's the silver bullet and we gotta just try this. Or here's the answer and we just gotta get people back together. Um, but you know, the formation that Brene's resources and talks have, have had on me has led me to say, no, hold the bus. Um, the most important thing we can do is to sit with people, to listen, to empathize and not give solutions because solutions will come. The yeah. best solutions are the, are the solutions that people themselves will develop over time when they feel safe and secure and that somebody else is in their corner. And I think that exactly is what gives hope for the future that something better than our past or even our present um, is laying in front of us. And, and we have the joy and the excitement to figure out what that is. But each of us are going to need to own a part of that. And, and it begins with empathy, sitting okay. with people, knowing that they're, they're loved and that we trust each other. Well, uh, two things. Uh, oh, just a couple of weeks ago, I did a podcast on uh, authentic selling and with a, a, mm. a guy who wrote a book on sales. sales yeah. And one of his uh, chapters in there was empathy. And yeah. you, you would think in sales, empathy is not the deal. You're trying to you know, get to a a certain end on it but it's uh, empathy i think is becoming a much more valued characteristic yeah. uh, there and so i'm not trying to paint you into a corner or me into a corner but one of the things i found is men with a, mm -hmm. in a you know a marriage that mm -hmm. uh, women will say well i have these issues blah 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 and men look at it and we come up with solutions for them as well. Here, but this is what you do, da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. And I think women friends of women don't do that. They actually listen, provide empathy and sit with them as, as you described. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that's true overall or maybe it's personality? Yeah, I, I think that might be a, a general characterization of gender. I'm not sure if it's, it's totally accurate um you know there, there's these studies you know the feminization of culture and you know you can read about all that in your sociology journals um but i i think what what for me is is true about about what you just shared is that um there is a human desire and a human need regardless of gender to know that somebody's in your corner because when you're getting beat up uh, when you have shared trauma, when you go through a pandemic like we have over the last year, you just feel exhausted and you, and, and, and you find yourself isolated, lonely, and wondering, that, is anybody else feeling this way? Is anybody else actually having this type of experience? Because you look around, it's like, oh, you know, their kids are happy and their marriage is great. Or, you know, and once in a while, it's like, man, you know, man, I guess I don't have it as bad as they do. And, and we kind of create this this pecking order, this gradation of, okay, as long as I'm not like in the bottom of the barrel, I'm doing okay. Um, but I think at the core of all that, it's this longing just to know that somebody's in our corner 
And whether that comes from sitting and listening or like as guys, you know, we, we throw darts at a wall and say, hey, maybe this will work, maybe this will work. You know, that, that, that's a type of empathy where, where you're doing it side by side. Um, you know, I was doing that with a, with a couple of guys last weekend, like, hey, maybe you should try this answer session, but hey, um, I'm gonna sit with you through this and, you know, and I'll, I'll throw my two cents in too. Um, but I, I think knowing that somebody is in your corner when you're getting beat up and bloodied up in the fight of life, um, I think that's a human, human desire, not necessarily a gender, um, a gender desire, even though, you know, there, there can be some conclusions drawn to nuances and how that's expressed. Okay. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, Tim, I just want to say thank you um, to you, Tim Bayer, for being a guest here yeah, on the Disaster absolutely. Zone podcast. Yeah, it's good to be with you and to share this time. And I hope it was helpful. That, that's always my, my aim is to be helpful. All right. And, you know, we've been living through the biggest disaster of our lifetime. Um, mm -hmm. Because it's a pandemic, no one has escaped being uh, impacted by it. So a reminder, everyone, be safe. Think about what you can do today to become better prepared for the next disaster. And perhaps it means being more socially aware of your words or actions uh, and going forward in this pandemic or any other disaster in the future. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Tune in again soon for more information on all aspects of disasters. You can also check out the Disaster Zone blog at www.disaster-zone.com.